This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. It's Saturday, September 16th, 2023, and I'm recording from my Cape Elizabeth studio. Happy Hurricane Day. For those of you who's celebrating Lee, we're celebrating here. Uh, we have power. It hasn't rained. It's been balmy. Quite nice. I know many don't have power, and I'm sorry about that. But so far, Hurricane Lee, which is downgraded to a tropical storm, has been easy peasy. And that's great. Gives me time to talk about affordable housing in Cape Elizabeth. We are marching on uh, slowly but surely towards developing what I've been calling community housing on Gullcrest. And we have the feasibility study to say that there's 22 acres of land that happens to be the land left by Thomas Jordan that's in the residential A zone where we could, as a community, bond a road over 30 years and build a lovely little neighborhood of 75 cute capes with garages and front lawns and front entrances. And housed there could be families that own the units with median income up to 120%, or it could be rentals for workforce with uh, the income up to 80% of the um, AMI. So that's the vision, is is to do a, a lovely little neighborhood that is somewhat similar to Cape Colonial Village, right on the other side of the Spurwink River. And the latest kerfuffle is... Uh, you know, raised by the people who are against the project is ethics. They claim that it's unethical to develop affordable housing so close to a capped landfill. <laughs> and the drama around it is 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 quite fascinating to me. Uh, in particular, I wanted to just talk about a few things. First, Zoom access to meetings. They're, the Housing Diversity Study Committee to its credit, wants the meetings to be accessible and so allows Zoom. But Zoom, in my view, just accommodates lunatics. And the past week was a perfect example of, I was speaking at the Housing Diversity Study Committee specifically to talk about this this issue of, of housing on Goldcrest. And suddenly, you know, blasting in was a hacker who displayed pornography and made very crude remarks. It was very loud. It was very disruptive. It was very offensive. Somewhat humorous, just because, it, you know, you, you just have to laugh sometimes. And, you know, I, I was certainly taken aback, but what followed from the interruption was actually pretty healthy committee discussion, somewhat heated. Uh, and And I also then continued my remarks. And, and the Zoom access was was shut down for the rest of the meeting, which I thought was an appropriate response by the committee. So that's great. But what was interesting to me and what I don't think was good is that the the television people, I'm sure they had all good intentions, took it upon themselves to edit the video. And so instead of showing me up at the podium speaking and then the interruption and the hack and then the committee discussion, they sort of cut it off as soon as the hacker entered the Zoom screen and then sort of just stitched it together later when I'm talking. So you'd, so you'd look at the video now, you look at the televised broadcast, there's no interruption, there's no hack. 
and it appears that I can't speak because <laughs> because my sentence doesn't make any sense. But it's just so smooth that it looks like I'm just saying something that's stupid. And and as soon as I saw that the television broadcast had been edited, I actually reached out very quickly and, and expressed my concern and alarm that first of all, this is this is history. You know, we shouldn't be altering what happened, uh, especially you know when it comes to public television. In my view, that is the record. That's that's a historical record, a, a public record that shouldn't be altered. But also I said, you know, I was concerned that I could be misquoted because my words didn't make much sense. And sure enough, the Cape Courier comes out and obviously the reporter watched the meeting, the edited version of the meeting, because I'm quoted and it doesn't make any sense. So I, I don't think we should allow Zoom to dictate our local meetings. There's no reason why we have to invite the world into our business and this notion that we have to accommodate everybody uh, outside of our community doesn't make any sense to me. So I would be very happy if we discontinued Zoom participation at public meetings. I think if you have a disability and you're a citizen of Cape Elizabeth, there certainly should be an accommodation and you should have access, but there's no reason why Zoom has to uh, take over I also think at no time should public documentation of what happened, the record, be edited. There should be a policy around editing the broadcast of meetings, in my view. It shouldn't be left to the discretion of the staff who, like I said, I'm sure this believes that they're doing what's right, but there's just there's an exercise of judgment that's <laughs> above their pay grade when it comes to altering what people are saying, or at least what it, you know what it appears. It appears that I'm saying something that I didn't say in the broadcast, and so I'm concerned about that. And my concerns, you know, came to fruition when I saw that I was quoted in the paper. But more importantly, what really struck me in reading the Cape Courier is that so much weight is given to this person uh, in our community who wrote two emails to one to the town council, one to the Housing Diversity Study Committee. This Regan St. Pierre, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, but he or she, I'm just going to guess it's a she. Uh, she. She says that you know she's worked in affordable housing for 20 years. What she does is she makes money. She she works for a huge bank like finance company essentially that does deals for investors. So she has, as, as a job, making money for investors through the low-income tax credit. So this low-income tax credit financing scheme that was created for the purpose of trying to incentivize affordable housing in areas that are blighted and where money doesn't go, that low-income housing tax credit now is what's driving the train for affordable housing. Every project is chasing the low-income tax credit, and the formula leads every project to basically the same configuration of large numbers of very small apartments, like one-bedroom apartments. Uh, with So it is essentially shuts out kids, and because it's low-income, it shuts out a lot of the workforce in our town, the proposed low-income housing tax credit project in the you know right in the town center would have involved blowing up our zoning ordinance to allow a Hampton Inn right next to a historic town hall that would have been for 49 one-bedroom units of low-income housing no kids no teachers right across the street from the schools the voters rejected that in an election and so now we're looking at other 
at other options. And the only other viable option in terms of the use of public land is at Gullcrest. I don't think anyone will dispute this. There's no other land that we own as a town that is zoned for housing where we could develop affordable housing without changing the zoning. And so this project, this concept of community housing, not only is it feasible because it's zoned for housing, we own the land, but now we have opinions about it's feasible in terms of at least the the initial study is that it's feasible in terms of the environmental regulations. There's going to be some obvious compliance issues, but it, it it's feasible despite its location next to the landfill. So the latest outcry is people like this Regan St. Pierre who just want a low-income tax project. You know, they just that's their goal, is to put up low-income housing because that's how their clients make money. That's how investors make money. That's how the bankers make money. And that's the hottest thing. That's the sexy housing investment tool right now is the low-income tax credit. But what we're trying to do in Cape Elizabeth is a little bit different. And there's this cliche, this saying, you got to think, think outside the box. Well, this community housing or doing affordable housing on Goldcrest is thinking outside the box. It's, it, it, it's a different concept. It's not about a cookie-cutter, low-income housing project. It's different, and and it's viable, and it's feasible, and it's ethical because, because it complies with the law. So this suggestion that somehow we're being unethical by offering affordable housing to families with children in a community with Blue Ribbon schools in the middle of a, like, spectacular natural area. Okay, this the landfill is not only adjacent to the 22 acres where we would construct an affordable housing development, it's also right next to where we're going to be building a world-class ice arena. And the reason why we're building an ice arena at Goldcrest is because the poor hockey teams don't have enough ice. You know, so the hockey teams need ice and so we're going to build an ice arena that is as close to the landfill as the road that would lead to the housing. We also have community gardens right next to the landfill. We have our public works department where all of our public works employees work. The swap shop is right next to the landfill and people spend, you know, a lot of time there. So the notion that somehow we can have all of these things, gardens, um, people working day in and day out, um, a a facility that's going to attract hundreds you know of of school kids every day and and we're all surrounding the same landfill so if there's an environmental concern if there's a health concern then we should identify it but if there's not and there's no sign of one and all of the laws are met then in my view it's unethical to not build the housing i mean if you agree that there's a shortage and a crisis and we have an opportunity to build housing that's legal (laughs) and would accommodate families with kids, it seems to me it's, 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 it's more than ethical to do it. It's something we should, we should do immediately. So I'm, I'm just struck by this idea that this person, Regan St. Pierre, can write in an email that is totally full of misinformation. For instance, she says that we have an active dump in Cape Elizabeth. We don't have an active dump. She says that she's aware of no other projects that are located next to a landfill. Well, you go no further than the town of Cumberland, right up the coast, 20 minutes, you drive into the town of Cumberland, you've passed the Cumberland 
town hall and you take a left on Drown Road and there you have it, lo and behold, on the left, the Drown School Affordable Housing Complex, which is beautiful, right next to the capped landfill, which is across the street from their public works department. And just a little bit down the way is a, is a neighborhood of really nice homes. So you just looked into Portland. You know, how many housing developments are there around that wastewater treatment plant? This idea that somehow in Cape Elizabeth we have a wastewater, she calls it an, a sewer treatment plant. Well, there's no tanks. It's, it's essentially a station, a substation that has no odor. There's no, there's nothing. It, it, she, she says that what we should do instead, this person who wrote in that is given all this credit now, who's, who's raising the, the, the red flag about Gullcrest, people waving around her emails. This person says what we should do instead is we should buy as a town the two lots right in town center where the Dunham Court project was supposed to be located. She says, you know, because then we could um, we could just build an affordable housing project right there, right in town center, as if we didn't just go through that process, as if we don't have a zoning ordinance in town center that would prevent a gigantic low-income housing project because... Our current zoning requires commercial space on the first floor for multifamily housing in town center. I mean, we just went through this process, and she's saying that that's what we should do instead of Gullcrest. We should just do that again, as if the election didn't mean anything. And this and this gets to my, my really, the main point of this podcast, and that is that this town council, I'm glad that there's going to be some new town councilors. Uh, this town council, I think, works incredibly hard and and I really admire um, you know most of the council members and 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 I'm grateful for all the work but one thing that they do and, and I see this happening at a lot of levels of, of government is that there's so much on their plate that they just want to farm out what they're tasked to do to either committees or consultants and consultants especially in Cape Elizabeth we have spent so much money on consultants when we really don't need consultants right now the housing diversity study committee is spending money to have consultants fly up here from Virginia to participate in every single meeting and take notes. That's ridiculous, okay? But not only that, we're paying now more consultants to do this survey that that everyone's waiting for with bated breath, as if once we get the survey and this Housing Diversity Study Committee issues a report that all our problems are going to be solved. I mean, give me a break. The survey is so unscientific. I've taken it three times just to prove that I could. There's there's no guardrails on the survey whatsoever. It means absolutely nothing. I mean, sure, it's 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 a reference point. But this idea that somehow the town council is going to base its policy decisions on whether or not we're going to create affordable housing in Gullcrest on this survey instead of just, you know, if we're going to build a road and bond it, then it goes out to a vote. We could actually have a vote. That's how you measure public opinion is you you have votes, not surveys. And, and what I... I don't like is it seems like the leaders of the town are looking for like they're they're not leading they're they're trying to follow public opinion or create public opinion with these surveys and then it's just just delegating their job and that is to make decisions based on the interests of the people that they were elected to serve and in Cape Elizabeth we just had the election that defeated changing the ordinance to allow for low-income housing projects, 
you know, in the town center. You know, certain town councils were, were, were not elected because of their position on the housing. Uh, we have an upcoming election. This issue is going to be on the ballot, which is great. This is what, you know, town councilors have to do, is they have to take important votes and not just farm things out to consultants and look for answers in in reports. Um, you know, what we need answers to when it comes to housing is whether or not we can build the road, how much it'll cost, and whether or not, uh, you know, a developer or or there's financing will happen only if we put it out to bid. So I, I just hope the town council um, <laughs> gets to the point of uh, of making a decision on moving forward with Gullcrest. Um, 800 people signed a petition in support of developing an affordable housing development on Gullcrest. So those are 800 signatures that were certified. That's real data. That means that almost like just shy of 10% of the community supports the concept of developing an affordable housing development similar to Cape Colonial Village on Gullcrest. The town council has authorized spending up to $100,000 to study this, and yet instead of continuing to gather facts about the feasibility of housing on Gullcrest, they're spending money uh, to extend the work of the town of the Housing Diversity Study Committee to pay for consultants to, to do these these you know stick their finger up in the air and see what the what the public opinion is and I don't know so if, if you're a listener in Cape Elizabeth and you haven't taken the survey please take the survey and indicate your support for developing an affordable housing neighborhood on Gullcrest it's it's an idea that is feasible and and, and ethical <laughs> it, it's, it's ethical and and if if it's not ethical to build affordable housing next to a cap landfill uh, you know I don't hear anybody criticizing the town of Cumberland in fact the town of Cumberland in the newspaper has been lauded as being a real forward thinker and leader in this area and what they're doing is they're putting affordable housing right next to their capped landfill and so you know, <laughs> Regan St. Pierre, who wrote this email suggesting that instead of citing affordable housing on a beautiful, like, wooded recreation spot that is crisscrossed with cross-country skiing trails that we're going to soon have a nice rink with gardens along the marsh, a footbridge that takes directly a Greenbelt Trail to the high school. You know, if she... she instead wants to do something that's impossible downtown. And this idea that somehow there's health concerns that are just now being raised about the cap landfill when nobody seems to care that we're going to put up an ice arena that's going to attract kids and families. You know, the, <laughs> nobody seems to care that we're growing food in our community gardens right next to it. We have all these recreational facilities. We subject our public employees, our loyal public employees, to work right next to their... I mean, if there are health concerns, we need to address them. We don't ignore them, which is the suggestion of Regan St. Pierre. So um, stay tuned. The, you know, 
unfortunately, the chair of the Housing Diversity Study Committee and one of the members is just so intent on defeating this idea of developing affordable housing on Gullcrest that they're really doing everything possible <laughs> to um, to defeat it. But I think in the long run, we'll prevail if we if we stick together and just keep our eyes on the prize. And that is that we have an opportunity to do something really great. Uh, and it doesn't need to fit the cookie cutter that all the other communities are using. It doesn't need to be a deal uh, you know, for investors. It doesn't have to be about the bottom line for investors. It can be about in- the citizens of Cape Elizabeth actually investing in housing for their neighbors and, and using the resources at hand, including the land that we own that's owned for housing and building a road using a bond because that's it's, it's affordable, it's feasible, and it's, of course, ethical. It's, of course, ethical to create housing for kids and families in Cape Elizabeth. It's, it, it's just mind-boggling that, that the idea that we would do nothing because of some made-up environmental concern is more ethical than creating housing for families is just, it, it's backwards. It's backwards thinking. So uh, don't buy it. Um, you know, if, if you don't believe that the law matters, if you think you're better than the law, then you're no different than the people who think, you know, the 2020 election was stolen. You know, we had an election. The town of Cape Elizabeth doesn't want to change the zoning ordinance to town center to allow for big apartment buildings. But we do allow for multifamily housing in the RA zone, which is where Gullcrest is, and we could develop an affordable housing development that works in Cape Elizabeth, and we should. And that's it. And until next time, this is Cynthia Dale signing off. Take care.